Hi, John. Oh, hi, Marilyn. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you going? <laughs> I'm going good. That's good. Mm. It's really early. <laughs> I just thought I'd say that uh, so that we would feel nostalgia. Taking us back to the old days. The old days when it was early instead of like at night, which is what we're doing now. I think we've adjusted well. How do you feel it's different? Hmm. Well, you know, we've, uh, not that it matters, but, you know, we've received some plaudits from people who seem yeah. to enjoy the uh, later recording time. I, I think it's pretty we, good. We don't care about our fans, though. We don't care about their praise. Oh, that's the super train talking. <laughs> I care. Yeah, I know you care. Yeah. You're, you're, you're gentle. You're soft. I don't know about that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I had I had kind of a heavy meal. Oh, you did? You know what I just did? What? I went to the taco bus. But it but I didn't have enough time to eat. <laughs> Sounds dirty. It is dirty. Or El Taco Bus as I call it. Because I'm because I'm, <laughs> you're a polyglot. I am and I'm I'm sort of an internationalist. <laughs> Los Los Taco Bus. And um, I went there, but I didn't have enough time to eat. So there's there's taco bus food downstairs, and it's an it's a uh, it's it's my prize. It's my prize that's waiting for me. What's terrible? Is it still hot? Doesn't matter. Oh come on! No, it doesn't matter because Merlin, I like food that is room temperature. <laughs> huh? Is that like a Chinese energy thing? I mean, you know. Well, a little. Well, no. Do you mean like is my well, like you're chong? not supposed to drink it's, like you know I I I you know I don't work ping pong, but I, I think you're not supposed to drink at anything while you're eating, but especially you can't drink cold stuff when you're pregnant because of feng shui. I see. I, I got to look that up, but yeah. uh, if just in chi, general, if your cheese are aligned with your other cheese, it's um, you know they don't have a lot of cheese in Chinese food. Oh God! <laughs> oh God! I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was that you know what that was sorry. pretty good i'm gonna leave it in i'm gonna allow it <laughs> sorry i feel like i'm limp i'm limping now here's uh, my here's my question though yeah. so you like room temperature food does that go both ways do you like do you like you like yogurt to come to room temperature and you like your beef you know to get to you know get to a comfortable 70 degrees <laughs> yeah kind of i mean I'll, I'll put it this way i do not object to to any food that has either cooled or warmed uh, from its from its initial serving temperature huh. to closer than room temperature, and and some people find it repulsive that I will eat uh, that I'll, for instance, open a can of food and just eat it out of the can. I've been affronted by that. Yeah, and and a lot of people are. They're like that is that's disgusting. And I'm like, what what do you think heat is doing to it? That- <laughs> you guys, you guys, you guys always have you guys always have a reason. I, you know, what do you mean, us guys? Who's us guys? I've had a couple. I've I've had a couple bean eaters like you that I that I have. uh, I've been acquainted one of my mm, one of my very good friends in high school. First of all, would eat pretty much anything, and he would eat it in almost any state. Yeah, and I think I don't know. To me, there's three parts to it. There's there's the first part which. (laughs) Is the eating it out of the original container uh-huh, okay. that, that really says "Bachelor for Life," and then <laughs> and then there's but, the there's the go ahead. all right no no, 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 no. no I mean does that does that if you get takeout you won't you, you like to decant it I am notorious in my household for liking piping hot food right 
Like no, too I'm, not, hot. I'm not. I'm not a nut. I mean, my uh, my my uh, sister-in-law. You ever had Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Of course, it's pretty good coffee, and they're kind of famous for how scalding hot their coffee is. Right. And it's really, you know, it's really. I mean, I'm not gonna say anything because you know all my family in Rhode Island will you know pop a stitch if I say anything. But it's good. It's not like the best coffee I've ever had. She it's, has the it's, mic- it's, it's, it's it's super hot though because you're supposed to you know you're going to be on like a four hour stakeout. You oh yeah, everybody in New England's a cop. But then she has the microwave it to make it hotter. Yes. Can you imagine microwaving Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Well, you, you know, you know the uh, the old story about the exploding uh, hot water heaters. I don't think I know that old story. <laughs> the old story. See, and, uh, hot water heaters don't explode anymore because they have like seventeen layers of fail safe valves and vents and stuff to keep this from happening. Okay, this is something I learned. But from basically, Adam it is, it is like a big. It's like a big, slightly sophisticated tea kettle. Historically, it's a tea kettle. It's a sealed tea kettle. And if you if you don't have if you don't have like shutoff valves for the uh, for the heating element and also steam vents for the steaming elements, what happens in a hot water heater, if, especially one that's like two thirds full, the, uh, the 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 water gets hotter and hotter and hotter, but it can't boil because as it gets hotter, it also the pressure increases, and the pressure increases and pressure increases, and the water gets hotter and hotter without boiling. And then finally the pressure gets so great that the hot water heater explodes. And the second that there's an opening, all like 80 gallons of water turns to steam instantly. Hmm. And a hot water heater can blow up your house. Oh, God. It's like flash, flash explosion of like instant steam and all that pressure. It can like, it can, it can flatten your home. Now, when did they, uh, as an industry, fix that? Well, they fixed it, I think, uh, after the great hot water heater. Oh, the great uh, hot explosion. water heater. Explosion S- epidemic. Steam. Of the 1930s, where all those people were killed uh, because they were they were sealing the fire exits. Oh, right. The the uh, triangle uh, shirtwaist uh, water yeah, heater. That's right. The incident. triangle shirtwaist water heater incident. That's a great guy. My voice is EP. The second part, <laughs> the second part is the room temperature part. Yeah, I love Doug Gillard's playing on that. That one. guy's solid. He he. You don't know who they are. You've never, have, you've never listened you know, to them. You've never listened but, to an entire guy to my voice song in your life. But I happen to be friends with Doug Gillard. Well, I, I knew pers- his, I knew his wife on Live Journal. Hmm. Live Journal. Tell me more. Oh, I remember you were huge on Live Journal. I remember being very mad at Live Journal because you were on Live Journal with a bunch of like the, bar, uh, the Barcy Mafia, bunch of teenage girls who were talking about me, uh, and then I would say, "Well, what are they saying?" And nobody would tell me. Because oh, they would Live say things was a about you. Cult. They would Live say Journal things. was a secret cult, and you couldn't. And if you weren't on there, then you didn't get to know. And I was yeah. like, "They're talking about me. I should know." Nobody would say. Nobody would say. It's like a series in. of uh, private hand job booths, you know, uh. and you know what's what happens in the booth. Hmm. The second part is the room temperature. Uh, yeah. okay. So it's it, so like here's here's the thing. If you were a hobo with just a little bit of fucking human dignity, you would stick a can <laughs> over a fire like a gentleman. <laughs> okay. But instead, and I'm gonna in a minute, I'm gonna come to a very specific sense memory of this. And uh, and I think the third part is I think if you're the kind of person that eats out of a container and B has it at room temperature. You're not you're you're not above picking up something that might have been open and room temperature for a while, 
Yeah. Maybe even of an unknown amount of time and picking it up. This could start as something as simple as the guy who eats the maguro that's been on the table for an hour. And it could go all the way up to my friend who would eat ravioli that was almost blue. <laughs> and I don't mean I, Miles Davis. I definitely, I definitely have like, uh, back in my college days would, would wake up uh, in the morning and, uh, because of my, because of the position that I was, that I'd ended up sleeping in, which was kind of half on the floor. I would have a view under my bed. <laughs> There's your autobiography right there. Half on the floor. <laughs> half on the floor. And then I'd be like, oh, looking, looking under my bed and I'd be like, oh, there's two slices of pizza in there. And <laughs> no, I'd, pizza, I'd re- okay. Pizza, I'd reach I, under will, there and I'd pizza. I will, I will give you a papal dispensation for pizza. Yeah. The thing is, hobos, when they were cooking those cans of food on the fire, it was because those were cans of raw ground pork. <laughs> which was a very popular food in, during the Depression. Did, did it have can, the glands, can, in, it, glands in, can, in it, John? raw ground pork. And you have to cook that stuff. Yeah. But, but modern food is all cooked. It's cooked in the, it's cooked in the can. Yeah, it's, it's, it's flash fried or it's... Uh, flash fried, yeah. Yeah. It's steamed, uh, it's steamed or boiled. And so if I open a can of, say, Chef Boyardee raviolios... Uh, that's the sense memory. <laughs> I think, wait a minute. Oh, my God. It was... Heating, yes, heating it was li- them up. John, have I told you the story? It was literally Chef Boyardee... It was ra- yeah, raviolios. Raviolios, yeah. <gasps> that's but exactly heating, what he ate when it was almost blue. Heating them up just... It just fills the house with the smell of a cat that died on top of a furnace. It, well, no, it literally smells like barf. It smells like like a dead cat or barf. Mm-hmm. They're very similar in smell. Hmm. If would you, you don't would you eat, eat a room temperature, up, <laughs> eat a room temperature cat. If you don't eat them up, you don't have to. That, they don't smell like that. They just smell like um, they smell like like tin. That's a really good <laughs> point. Did, did, did oak Brussels sprouts? If you eat them like an apple, you're good to go. Voila, voila. See? I had I had at some point I don't remember I blocked this out but at some point I had made some canned probably store brand ravioli in my in my uh, in my dorm and I don't know why I would have left any as I remember it was a very very small bit that was left in there and with yeah. a completely straight non ironic non jokey non frat boy non hey look at this expression my my very good friend said uh, you know. The the classic I, I got to get a name for what you guys are the classic room temperatures room mm-hmm. temperatureists yeah. uh, are, are you going to eat that uh-huh. and I said no my dear friend I'm not going to eat that because that's trash it's just <laughs> that I am a freshman in college and I don't throw my trash out and right. he picked up the utensil which memory serves was like a tablespoon next uh-huh. to it and and I you know seated to him that if he wanted to eat the garbage <laughs> he was free to do so <laughs> listen all of he that was up food for most garbage. likely to succeed in high school john it's it's garbage from the beginning if you if, if we can if we can rewind uh, to the pump the pump chili discussion very subtle distinction and, and then imagine imagine that same pumped meat the same <laughs> The bitch is that, back. That does not even have the advantage of chili powder to to camouflage its like essential nature, and it is being pumped at Chef Boyardee headquarters through a multitude of tubes. Like it's like Bob Hoskins in Brazil, except those tubes are full of of liquid meat, and they're making little ravioli pods, like blorping, blorping. Like why would you cook it again? 
So this is really, this is really all about me and, and my ravioli hypocrisy. So I'm fancy about whether or not you should eat it yeah, <laughs> like a fucking yeah. bum. Mr. And you're fancy saying- <laughs> Pants with his stove and his microwave. Just eat the thing as God intended. If you're going to defecate, Holy. why would you flush? You know? <laughs> and I, and I, I sat there like slack jawed as you do. And, uh, and, but boy, he could, he could eat anything anytime. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 when I was not, not in college, uh, but, uh, but a little bit after college, early twenties, I had a, I had a, uh, three, a three bedroom apartment with a couple of guys and our kitchen had so many flies in it, mm-hmm. but somehow so many flies in it that no one ever went in there again. <laughs> Past a certain point, like Our, no one we had, ever... student, we had a student lounge like that. It basically became a place <laughs> with a TV that you run into for Star Trek and then dash back out. But, but we would not even cross the threshold. But somehow the flies remained. There was no door on the kitchen, but they remained in that area because that is where that was. That is where they were born. That is where they fell in love. That is where they they died. Their whole culture was there. Hmm. They never came through the door into the rest of the house. Also because there was probably an impenetrable wall of pot smoke. Hmm. And so we had we had a kind of detente. We lived in this room and they lived in the kitchen and we never went in. We, I, I never went in that kitchen again. I lived there three years. That was your Munich. That's right. You, you said, look, we need, we need to reach some kind of a... Uh, you know, we have, have, have a separate piece. <laughs> yeah, you can have the Sudetenland, which is our kitchen. We will have. And you peace walked out. Time. Yes, he walked out <laughs> holding up a piece of paper, saying "peace in our time." Peace um, in our time. And then you know the. You, you, did you read the umbrella story the other day? I don't think I don't. No, I don't think I saw that. I read about uh, Ann Curry, but I haven't. Oh. Read, I haven't read about uh, the umbrella. Tell me the umbrella story. So you know about the uh, you know about the guy with the umbrella on the grassy knoll. Oh, it, it, this is the faint. I know about the grassy knoll. I don't think There's, I know about the umbrella. So right at the moment that Kennedy was assassinated, as he is driving past the grassy knoll in Dallas, visible on the Zapruder film and other love other Zapruder shots, film. I could watch that all day. There is a man standing right at the point of impact when the first bullet hits Kennedy, standing with an open umbrella. And it has long, it has long been, I mean, it was one of the major sort of like, what the fucks? It's a like, beautiful, sunny November day. Sunny day. And this guy is standing right at that exact spot with a, standing under an open umbrella. Not like a parasol. And, no, no, no. Full, full mm-hmm. on black umbrella. And so, uh, <coughs> th- this was a, this was a thing that kind of made the rounds last week. The the uh, uh, all the conspiracy theorists, of course, said <laughs> this bizarreness. Not even conspiracy theorists. Any normal thinking person would say this bizarreness must be connected. The man with the umbrella has to somehow be significant in this in in this moment, this like historical moment. And the the uh, and I am forgetting the names of both the. The, the man who investigated it and the man who made the documentary film about him. So this is useless. The, but, the, um, uh, I'm, uh, what is the Warren Commission? No, no, no. This is, this is, uh, who is the guy that Errol made Morris? The, the, 
the film. Okay, Errol Morris, and and who was the guy, <laughs> the guy that made the film about the uh, the about uh, uh, McNamara? Uh, Earl Warren. Oh no, wait a minute. McNamara is Errol Morris, and uh, Errol he has Morris. the camera that talks to you. Right. Right. So he is making a film about this guy. Oh, who, Errol Morris is a very interesting guy. Well, a- anyway. The, no, the no, no, because he's, he's very into this idea. I'm sorry I don't mean to interrupt you, but he, he has a whole famous essay that we should come back to about one photograph of the, that road with cannonball dents in it. And the authenticity mm-hmm. of it. He's very, I think he's a person who's obviously he's a guy who's always searching for like the unexpected truth behind the unexpected truth. So you're saying he's making a movie about the umbrella guy or about about the no, whole No, no, no. So he's interviewing a guy who went to great lengths to find the umbrella guy. Oh, nice. And the umbrella guy actually came forward and testified before Congress at the end of the 70s. And his story was, yes, I am the umbrella guy. Yes, I stood there with my open umbrella. And my open umbrella that day was a protest against not John F Kennedy, but it was a reference to Chamberlain's umbrella, and it was a protest against Kennedy's dad, who was a Nazi sympathizer. Hmm. Uh, or who this man, you know, was like... That John, was, John, that that was that is, John, that is extremely subtle. It was, it was extremely subtle. And the point, the point of this little, this little uh, short film that I watched was that if you examine any historical moment... In excruciating detail, like you, like you, like we have done that moment in Dallas. the the number The number of things that are like too bizarre to describe that uh, in any sort of historical, like over-examined historical moment, uh, w- w- would blow your mind. Like if you could be, if you could, if you could take apart a photograph of any like of, of any moment like that. You would find so many unexplainable kind of just oh, so it's not just, unrelated weirdness. It's not just that there's question marks on this particular day, but that you know every single frame of anything that anybody shot that day, every single person was interviewed. There was such an ex- like a huge amount of detail, and you get a Rashomon thing where there's so many different versions plus the documentation. Anywhere you've got that, you're going to get different things, and it's it's going to sound. Uh, Question marks. Yeah. Lots of question it, marks. Yeah, you see it in this in the Boston Marathon. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but that that's relevant. Yeah, all the all the redditors out there uh, looking at all the photographs, and they find twenty five different guys with backpacks, and yeah, and you're like, how many how many suspicious looking guys with backpacks are there at the finish line of the Boston Marathon? Turns out, a lot. <sighs> yeah, you know, <clears throat> for some reason, uh, and that. That Errol Morris thing, I'll send you a link to that because it's really interesting. But um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you know, there'll, there'll be something, if you see something like a really iconic photograph, I'm trying to, oh, oh, the classic, one of the classic examples, you know, the very famous portrait of Winston Churchill, you know, looking taciturn and that, that famous, you know, photo of him one, like standing the one at with a desk. The Tommy gun? That's my favorite picture of him. He's, he's a, he's, yeah, he, he's a, he's a, he's a good subject. But yeah. if you ever see, you know, when a ph- photographer who's made a, an iconic image, you'll notice that when there's an iconic image, you usually, unless it's Chet Baker, you don't usually see it alongside the 17 rejects with, you know, white X's oh, on right. each oh, of them. Oh, right. Oh, sure. The, uh, the, 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 negatives. the, re- the rejects, you know, the ones, the ones that the, did not become iconic because that's not the one they picked. And what always strikes me about that is, 
you know, when you see it again, it becomes like the Mona Lisa where you've seen it so many times that you mm-hmm. kind of go dead to the foreground, the background, the, you know, anyway, it's always amazing to me when you get to see a whole sequence of photos where that might be one of 17 photos that somebody shot really fast. Right. And it's amazing how completely different a scene looks in like really literally a fraction of a second and right. it changes the entire story. I mean, if you saw like the nurse slapping the sailor in, in one of those, uh, you know, on, uh, on what was a VJ day. Yeah. <laughs> VJ day. That's funny. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like if you see, you know, if anything was were, anything, if anything were different in that one shot, it, it kind of starts to tell a different story or like, you well, know, I- the, 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 the woman walking down the street, what's the guy, the French guy that takes all the pictures or Boiseau or no, I think it's Boiseau. So, so was well, Sean. And, and, uh, and, and the thing is if he didn't capture that one moment where a bunch of, you're talking about the Italian woman where all the guys on Vespas are whistling at her. I think that's the one. Yeah. And if everybody, if he hadn't captured it in that one moment, it would have been a completely different photograph. Oh, you know, anyway, I don't, I don't want to get into like, you know, no, I was thinking about this just territory, but that's kind of what we're talking about. Well, I was, this came up for me because, because for, for many years, I would say 25 years, ever since I first saw that iconic picture of mountain girl, Sitting next to Jerry Garcia, uh, it, right before Jerry grew a beard. Hmm. Mountain Girl, Jerry Garcia. Okay. Um, Mountain Girl is a woman named Carolyn Garcia, who was one of the original Merry Pranksters. She had a baby with Ken Kesey, and then she hooked up with Jerry and had two babies with Jerry Garcia before they married sometime in the 80s or whatever. But there's an, this iconic photograph uh, of, of, Mountain Girl and Jerry sitting next to one another in probably 67. And, and it's like the, they, he's got big mutton chops and they kind of... He's are, got big big mutton chops and she is a she is a, a, a gal in her 20s. And they're both kind of looking up. She looks like she might be in Slater Kenny. She looks like she might be in Slater okay, Kenny. Okay, got it. For I got the one. It's a, cute, it's a nice photo. Really nice photo. So the first time I saw this picture, it was back in the 80s when... If you recall, seeing pictures of your favorite rock stars was not, uh, it was not just a simple matter, right? I mean, you did not just go on the internet and Google Mountain Girl and get every picture of her ever taken. You would cut them out of Circus Magazine. You would cut them out of magazines, right. And, and so you would buy up and down with the Rolling Stones and you would pour over those two, two pages of pictures in the middle of the book. Because those were the only candid pictures of the Rolling Stones you had ever seen. Right. And I saw this picture of Mountain Girl with Jerry Garcia. And on the one hand, it is, uh, it's, that, it's a picture of Jerry before he had his beard. So it is, uh, it is a picture of utter carnage and horror. Because Jerry is a terrible looking person. Hmm. And, uh, he, and he has a very uh, sort of a weak chin that his beard later concealed and he's got a, so, he's got a real like uh, for, for folks who haven't seen it it's got a real mid 70s my dog speaks to me serial killer kind of vibe yeah it's it, he, he's super uncool without his beard and it's crazy to think that he was the leader of this whole right. movement but then when once he grows the beard then you're like it's jerry garcia it's like santa claus he's amazing looking and he rightfully never shaved it again but mountain girl 
was to to me at at 21 years old or whatever where i first saw this picture she was so beautiful she was like the girl in the obermeyer ski catalog and she actually looks a lot like the girl in the obermeyer ski catalog oh the one in the puffy jacket the puffy jacket girl with the, with the ski pants and this picture of mountain girl kind of looking up maybe sli- slightly squinting her eyes dark hair so fresh and clean and so it, it so embodied the 60s to me f- from my perspective in the in the mid to late 80s when 60s worship was at its highest and i was at 18 and 19 years old consumed by this nostalgia for the 60s and this feeling of loss and regret that i hadn't lived through the 60s that in fact the 60s were lost forever and we were stuck in these miserable 80s i wanted so much to be with mountain girl and this was not a this wasn't it didn't have anything to do with liking the grateful dead because i didn't particularly like the grateful dead this is I wasn't, this is uh right before your grateful dead uh, hangout period did, didn't, I mean, you, didn't you say you had a period where you hung out with deadheads yeah i did but i mean you know i've I've always had a period of uh, I've my I have multiple periods simultaneously. So I was hanging out with that. <laughs> You're like a nunnery. I wasn't a oh sorry. Oh, where's my bell? Hang on, here it is. Ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> so you were talking about your menses. Yeah, I I you know, I I had I had a lot of deadhead friends. <laughs> I saw the dead three times. Wow. But it but it I know, right? Mm. But it wasn't about it wasn't about that. It was about this idea. I mean, I don't know if you remember the movie 1969 starring, uh, starring, Ra, uh, what's his name? Uh, Iron Man. Oh, uh, wow. Nice pull. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. and Kiefer Sutherland and Winona Ryder in a movie called 1969 that came out in 1987 or 88. And it was this, you know, it was this, uh, super, super stroke off kind of like the sixties, man, the sixties are going to make the, the nineties are going to make the sixties look like the eighties, man, or whatever Dennis (laughs) Hopper's famous quote. But, uh, but anyway, so I spent years thinking that mountain girl was, you know, like kind of this beautiful girl or like my ideal hippie girl, but I had only ever seen the one picture of her literally there were no other pictures of mountain girl and i thought i guess at a certain point many many years ago i just assumed that she had gone up into the mountains and never come down or that she had turned into an eagle or i don't know what happened i did i had no idea what happened to mountain girl and what happened to mountain girl was that she married jerry garcia had two kids and wrote a book about cooking with pot or something, and she's still alive today and lives in Santa Rosa. And I, so the other day I was just, I don't know why I was thinking about her, but I Googled her and there are all these pictures of mountain girl and you look at her from a different angle and I mean, she's cute, you know, but she looks like a, an assistant manager at a health food store. Yeah, she's not so cute that that she would burn herself into your into a person's mind for for twenty five years, but here I am, like the mountain girl of my imagination, trumps the real mountain girl, 
And it's because I only ever saw this one great picture of her. And there were probably 25 pictures on either side of it that no one's ever seen. Right. So unfair, considering how many terrible pictures of me are out there. Hmm. You think so? Yeah. You look look really different from different angles. I don't think I'm going to shave my beard again. It's not because I have a weak chin. It's because I have the chin of a thousand men. I have too much chin. Your, your beard-shaped face. I have too much. I have too much face. Oh, yeah. You know what's interesting about you? Um, it's it's hard to explain, but you have kind of big everything. Yeah, it's weird. Like there's some people uh, who seem pro- pro- like kind of proportionate, but it seems like you know, like there, you could only really have one big thing on your body. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not you, but one. Like you know, it seems like you yeah. could have a real big melon head. You know, right. like Hulk hands or big something. Nose, big wide shoulders. We go, wow, that guy's, but you meet people sometimes, especially Frenchmen who, who, uh, who, who, uh, like Andre the Giant, everything on him looks big. Yeah. It's Gallic. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not, well, I guess I, I guess I'm not Gallic. You're pretty exactly. French in a lot of ways. Oh, that's interesting. You think I'm kind of French? <clears throat> well, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in this again. All right. <clears throat> the guy who, uh, I just sent you a link to this, the guy who, who took this famous photo. Uh, I only encourage you to look at the link because of the other picture that came out of that session. So it's a famous picture of Churchill with his head kind of slightly down. It's a beautiful photo. He's got a cane. He, he looks great. Um, and so Karsh, the guy who shot this, had asked Churchill to remove the cigar in his mouth. Churchill refused. Karsh walked up to Churchill, supposedly to get a light level, and casually pulled the signature cigar from the lips of Churchill and walked back toward the camera. As he walked, he clicked his camera remote, capturing the quote-unquote determined look. He's looking at him. Now, when you know that... Now Is you look that, at that right? Is that true? Look at that link, I, I sent you. And it, mostly now, he just looks like a fat man who's pouting. <laughs> yeah, but at the time, he looked like the guy who was going to defeat Hitler with his scowl. But here's the thing. If you go to that page and scroll down, you can see the one of him smiling broadly from the same oh, side. Oh, yeah, very different. It looks like Oliver Hardy. Right, although still with the kind of like, yeah, like uh, the left side of his face is fully four inches shorter than the right side of his face. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's one of those guys, if you draw a line down the middle of that picture and you look at, just put your hand over it, you look at the one half. Yeah, 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 yeah. Half, it's two completely different men. He looks like a courageous twice-baked potato. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I'll send you that Errol Morris thing, too, because it, it, it's a good read. Um, I don't know. I like hot food. I like medium warm coffee. I don't like it too hot. Um, my friends really look down on this, but I, I put a lot of like half and half in my coffee. Oh, you do? I think you're a half and half guy, right? I like half and half, but you go through a gallon of half and half. I go through a lot day. of everything, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I um, What I'll do is I'll make real strong coffee. Uh, I make it here in my office in my dingus, and then I will pour in a, uh, as we say in the business, an admixture of hot water and uh, and half and half until it's exactly the perfect temperature to drink immediately. Yeah. You know, Merlin, I will drink room temperature pop. I've done that. Mm-hmm. I've done that. But you know what? Let me, here's the thing. I, I, I don't want to get too much into your biography because I know you're uncomfortable talking about it, but yeah. how, do, you, do you think some of this... Uh, let me ask you this. Have you always been this way? Uh, or has, has some of this come out of your, like, uh, I, I recently, I, you know, I guess I read those, the diaries where like you, you sent, had sent stuff from your walk 
back to that professor. And I guess yeah. I've read those pages a long time ago and hadn't looked at them again until recently. But, uh, and they're fantastic. But, um, you should write a book about that. I'll tell you what, I'll write a book about email if you write a book about your walk. Deal? Okay. High five. <laughs> preach, preach bra. <laughs> 420. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it sounds like your diet was uneven at best. And, and you had, yeah. you had, you said your, would you say your feet were singing? Was that it? Or they were ringing, ringing. ringing. Your, ringing. your feet were ringing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you must have, it sounds like you really did kind of eat roots and berries if you were lucky sometimes. Yeah. Did that make you less picky? Uh, the, 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 I became less picky. Um, uh, didn't I ever tell you the story about how I became less picky? <laughs> no, John, I would love to hear the story about how you became less picky. Are you sure? Was it in the Balkans? No, no, it was a long time before I was, uh, I was extremely picky when I was a kid, the pickiest oh, of all picky right, eaters. Right, right. I would, I only ate four menu items, macaroni and cheese, Boil in a bag, Salisbury steaks. Oh, like Stouffer's? Stouffer's. Oh, those were um, good. Boil in a bag, Salisbury steaks. I would eat pizza, and I would eat spaghetti if you put the spaghetti sauce in the blender and blended all visible lumps out of it. How often would your mother capitulate to these requests? Well, she. the thing is she... She was busy. She had a career. She was busy, and so what she what she ended up doing was she would make spaghetti sauce with just like... like drizzle tomato sauce she wouldn't put anything in it okay um and 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 the the problem was that i was i was uh i was extremely i was extremely stubborn like it it, it was hmm. no it wasn't a question of i i would sit and did multiple times sit at a table in front of a of a cup of cold peas and sit there until it was time to go to bed and you know and they would sit me in front of the cup of cold peas at, at for breakfast and i wouldn't eat and they would sit me at the cup of cold peas at lunch and at dinner, and I just wouldn't eat. And it and it, I wouldn't eat until continuing to not feed me would constitute child abuse. Wow. And they just... And it wasn't that I would... You know, I wasn't crying. I wasn't... I was just sitting quietly, <laughs> staring over the top of the cup of cold peas. Uncommunicative. Like the John McCain of convenience vegetables. <laughs> until they just, you know, until everyone capitulated and I just ate the, you know, the five things that I would eat. And uh, when I was in high school and had a car, at lunchtime I would go to McDonald's because I was growing. I was a big, I was getting big. I would go to McDonald's and I would get two cheeseburgers, a 20 piece chicken McNugget, a strawberry. A shake, a strawberry sundae, an apple turnover, and one other thing. I didn't eat French fries. That's but, insane. You know, I would get I would get this this meal that would feed like a soccer team, but I wouldn't eat a green vegetable. I wouldn't eat a and and you know and I and I had a powerful gag reflex. It's not just that I wouldn't eat it, but that 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 I would sit and like like I couldn't even if you, if you if you put a piece of broccoli under my nose it would i would be retching like i was um like i was uh, in a outhouse you know? <laughs> and that persisted and, and it was a big reason that i didn't do foreign exchange when i was in high school it was suggested that maybe what i should do is go on a foreign exchange program and maybe that would straighten me out or maybe that would show me the show me something about the world that would that was going to change my my weird little provincial attitudes 
And I didn't want to go on foreign exchange because I was afraid that I was going to go some, I was afraid to even apply for fear that I would end up going someplace where they served me frog's legs and clams right. and made me eat lettuce. Uh, and, and so I was like, no, thanks. You know, like I, 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 I sheltered myself from experience all the way through high school, largely based on like, am I going to be able to get to McDonald's or to Taco Bell? Um, and even at Taco Bell, I would order tacos with no lettuce. Wow. They would specially make tacos for me with no lettuce and the cheeseburgers I got at, at McDonald's plain, plain cheeseburgers, no ketchup, oh, you, no you do, a, do a grill order. Do a grill order. Oof. So, so this this was true of me into college, uh, and and fortunately, the food that you get in college is basically exactly that menu: pizza, macaroni and cheese, boil in a bag, Salisbury steaks. Um. So uh, until I was, I guess, 19, or until I was twenty, I had. I had an incredibly small palate and, and I lived in fear, you know, I lived in fear of the wider world strictly because if I ended up going home with somebody for dinner mm -hmm. and their mom put a plate of food in front of me that or I, they, or they made lumpy, uh, like spaghetti sauce, they made lumpy spaghetti sauce. You would be totally I, outed. And not only I, would you have to eat it, but you would have to explain that you're picky. Yeah, it would, and it happened many, many, many times. I'm over to somebody's house, and their mom is like, "I made spaghetti," and everybody's like, "Yay!" And I am dying inside. Did you get panicky? I did. I was dying because I because I I didn't know am I going to sit down at the table and the spaghetti's going to come and it's and it's fine, or is it going to have big green peppers in it and onions and all these <sighs> things that that I was just like, oh no. And believe me, you cannot eat spaghetti at someone's house and pick out the green peppers and put them on the side of your plate. That doesn't fly. So all the way until you I was set 20, a fire. it was so, I mean, you know, and I was, I had, I'd done it all. I'd put the, put the food in my pockets. I'd wrapped it in a napkin and stole the napkin. You know, <laughs> Hey, didn't we have six napkins? I don't know. <laughs> no, I've got it tucked down the front of my pants. But so anyway, so I, and, I, and I'd been like this, hitchhiking all across the states. It's just like everybody has a hamburger, you know what I mean, in America. So if you have any choice of food, you're fine because you just choose a hamburger and it's fine. Um, but then I went to Europe for the first time. And for most of the time, I was just living on French bread and cheese. Uh, and every once in a while, I would... I would get a plate of something and I'd, you know, kind of pick at it, but, but it, I, I was pretty much covered like ham sandwich in Europe is the same as hamburger over here. You can find a, a piece of French bread with a thin slice of ham and some, and some cheese everywhere you go. But one day I was on a train and it deposited me in Innsbruck, Austria. And it was at the end of the day, and I got off the train, and instead of, instead of heading heading left, I headed right. And it's you know it's one of those things where if you're if you're not is this is this the lady who made you food? Yeah, I told you this story. The is lady who who made me the 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 asparagus with the hollandaise sauce. She she laid out an entire meal for you, 
It yeah. was past closing time, and she, and she spread out an entire banquet for you. That's right. That's right. I have told you this story. It's a good story. I'm sorry. It's okay. I shouldn't I, have said anything. I should, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. No, oh. that's, but that's the story. So, so, you know. Well, no, I never, but, but I never heard the part, uh, I never heard the part before that. And I have to say, it's very, it's, it's surprising to me that you were, you were picky. It's not surprising to me that you had showdowns with your mom, because it seems like that would be a kind of inevitable battle of the wills. Oh, but that's the problem. It didn't start with my mom. My dad was weird about food. And I don't know whether it was from his dad or whatever, but, but when I was a little kid, after my folks got divorced, my dad would come stay with us. And one time, and it's, it's, a, it's a moment that, that sticks in my head, even though I, had, I, I couldn't have been any older than about three and a half. But my dad got up with me and my mom, you know, slept in and my dad made me eggs. And my mom had always made my eggs sunny side up. And I would pop the yolks and I would eat the yolks with toast. Mm. And my dad scrambled the eggs or he made the eggs some way. And I was a three-year-old and up until that point, three and a half-year-old, I had eaten everything. It wasn't a problem. But dad made the eggs wrong and I was a little kid and didn't, and I was like, no, that's not how eggs are. Like, that's (laughs) not what an egg is. And my dad lost his mind and was screaming and you're going to eat those eggs. And it was this traumatic experience where I was like, I'm not going to eat those eggs. Those are those. I know what an egg looks like. Mm -hmm. This is something else. This is some garbage food. And my dad and I had a showdown and it was the first time. And he and I were, had been, you know, we're always very close. It was the first time there'd ever been any conflict between us. Wow. Really? Yeah. And my mom came running into the kitchen, leave him alone. And my dad was like, "He's you're ruining him. God. And it was this whole, and I, I mean, it sticks in my head, not just because it has been talked about since, but I mean, it was a, it was, it made a big, it planted a big flag in the ground. And from that point on, food was the thing that, food was the way that I could control my environment. Whoa. Really? Yeah. And so I never, from that point on, I was just, any time a plate landed in front of me, if it was something I had never seen before, I was like, no way, no way. And so my palate basically stayed at the, at the like chicken strips, uh, uh, grilled cheese sandwich level of a three and a half year old. And, and with every passing year, I just reinforced it, reinforced it in my mind and in my, in everything I did until, you know, you're 16 years old, 17 years old. And you're just like grilled cheese sandwich, please. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever you know never i grew up in alaska i never ate fish of any kind wow people would pull king salmons out of the kenai river and gut them right there and throw them on the throw them on an open fire and everybody else is like digging into this you know the the i, I have since had it of course but a king salmon straight out of the river there's no it's like ambrosia and She's i'm so good I'm eating a hot dog. <laughs> and my my teenage friends are like, what is the matter with you, man? This is the world's greatest food. And I'm just like, gross. gross. But, you, you you would, guys- you would, but I mean, you were okay with saying, like, that's just not a thing I'm going to do. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I was like, 
you you guys are eating a fish that just came out of a river. Like, think about it. Right. And they're like, we are thinking about it as we eat this delicious fish that just came out of this river. And I'm like, no thanks. I'm going to stick with this hot dog. This amazing, pure hot dog that wasn't just in a river. I mean, I was like, I was. <laughs> it's so funny that you'd pick a hot dog. You know, uh, of, well, all, of all of all of the kinds of food. I mean, you know, I'm just saying it wasn't like you were having, you know, organic parsnips. You're having no, you're having glands and butts, basically. Far from it, and 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 and. But and it's familiar, way, very familiar. The 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 one thing that 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 holds over is this is that I still eat at Arby's periodically, not very yeah, often. Me too. But you know, an Arby's sandwich is probably the worst thing. <laughs> That human beings have ever devised. I see but, some. I've seen some signs for stuff at our Taco Bell that I, I just I can't believe. I mean, you know what goes into food photography? Yeah. Where I'm just my my my. I'm, I just I said to my daughter that like that, that doesn't that look like barf. She's yeah. I mean, it, it really it looks like barf. Looks like barf. I mean, all those companies. You know how the food gets there? It gets there in tanker trucks. You know, <laughs> like. Everything at a Taco Bell arrives in a tanker and they just plug a huge fire hose into a slot in the wall and they just pump it in. <laughs> and that's true of our, that's true of Arby's too, but I just, it's the one holdover from those years. So anyway, after that experience in Innsbruck, then it, it was like going from black and white to color. It's like, it's, it's almost like it broke a fever or something. Like something, it, that's exactly it just right. It, something popped and I, because, and I think it's because asparagus was at the very top of my list of things I would never, ever eat. <laughs> like it looked so wrong. It smelled so it wrong. terrible. And, and the idea that an asparagus and, and I say this with the full knowledge that Europeans have no idea how to cook asparagus. Like, like Europeans eat white canned asparagus, limp, gross, soggy asparagus. Like not nothing compared to to the amazing olive oil drenched broiled asparagus. That's so good. But even the even this soggy Austrian asparagus was so delicious and so astonishing that it that that could have been there in the world the whole time that I was sitting sitting on my cold log eating a hot dog <laughs> while my kids were eating I, fresh I could, salmon. I go through this with my daughter who is. You know, she is really, she's a five-year-old in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, you know, she, she doesn't want to watch. She's a five-year-old in a lot of ways, including actual chronological age. I, yes. I guess that, I guess that does factor into it. Yes. <laughs> she's not where we'd like her to be. <laughs> she's, she's being five on a 12th grade level. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I, I have to say to her sometimes, she's like, you know, we'll be like, just, you know, try a little of this food. You know, and we're not going to make it weird because I, and I don't want to get into eating disorders. Right. That's the new Hitler. But, but, you know, I've had more than one woman tell me that their relationship with food, like yours, became really fucked up in a divorced family where food became a way to control something in an environment that they didn't have control in. Seriously, I've had a handful of women tell me that that's how they got a weird relationship with food. So I'm, I'm not really surprised, you know, with your saying that in some ways. But, but like with my kid, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're the typical, I mean, kind of like we, we, we consider ourselves good about this family, which is like, just try it, you know, just try it. And, and that's really all you have to do. Just try a bite. That's all we're asking you to do. You yeah. don't, there's nothing you're going to like, we're not going to make you go on a roller coaster, even though we don't like it. We're like, we're not going to make you eat 
shrimp with lobster sauce. Cause I'm the only one in the house who likes it anyway. But you know what I mean? Like just, just give it a spin. That's really all that we're asking. And, yeah. and the thing I end up saying to her though is, um, you know, I try to be careful cause I just in life, uh, I, I try to be careful not to tell somebody who I think they are, but rather what I think they're doing. Right. I'm not great at it, but in this case, I don't want to say to her, you're a picky eater or something like right, that. Right, right, right. No. But what I will say is, Pretty much every food we have put in front of you, you didn't want to try, and that includes chocolate. And I can right. pretty much guarantee you that there was at least one Saturday morning years ago where you didn't want to watch Toy Story. Like, you have a habit of of not liking stuff until you try it, because right. that's how it works. Right. And, you know, I, I, I think that's actually weirdly appropriate, you know, to a lot of things in life, you know, yeah. where, you know, you get this really strong idea, but... uh I've, uh, I, I swear it. I've met a lot of people with kind of sometimes like famous, but often like shameful things like that. It's kind of like being an adult bedwetter in some ways. Well, I, I had a friend I who would only eat white frankly, food. She would only eat white. Wait, what, huh? I was a bedwetter until I was embarrassingly old. Is that right? Yeah. You know, my, oh, well, at least until I was, at least until I was in fourth grade, probably. No kidding. That sucks. It, it did. You know, the, 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 um, the thing about my parents' divorce was that I gave no outward sign of being affected. Oh, God. And so all of these things, all of these little little uh, broken, of uh, like, gauges, it just all came out in these, in these other ways. And they, they did everything to try and get me to stop bedwetting. And in the mid-'70s, there was the... <laughs> was there an appliance involved? There was an appliance. No, really? Yes, it was, It took the form of a, uh, a a complete sheet of like stainless steel, thin, very thin. No, sheet no, 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 that no, was no. Under my sheet, <gasps> was that was connected. Was plugged in. <laughs> that was connected with two, you know, electrode clamps. To a buzzer, to a loud alarm, <laughs> and and if I wet the bed in the middle of the night, yeah, the water, the the liquid would hit this uh, this metal sheet, and this that shouldn't make a shame problem worse. And it was supposed, <laughs> it was supposed, the way it was sold to us was it was supposed to wake the child up, and that way they would learn to equate. Their full bladder, or their recently recently empty bladder, recently evacuated alarm causing uh, bladder. Yeah, with the with the need to get up in the night and go to the go to the bathroom, and so uh, you know this thing went off a couple of times, and I was no dummy. Uh, I pulled the sheet back and figured out how it worked, and took the uh, took the electrode off the metal sheet. Just, you know, just one, not both. You're a life hacker. Cause I know how fucking electricity works. Even then. <laughs> and then I would wet the bed. And then when I would wake up in the morning, I would go, Oh fuck. And I would lean over and plug it back in, like clip the clip back to the metal. And it would immediately start. Wap, wap, wap. And my mom would come running in and she would say, you just wet the bed now. You just, it's time to wake up. You just, you made it all the way through the night and you just wet the bed now. I don't understand. And I was like, oh, oops. And for the, for a long time, I, 
you know, I pulled this scam where I was convincing my mom that I would sleep all the way through the night and then just pee like two minutes before she was. That's super interesting. And that seemed better in your mind because it actually kind of seems worse. Better than being woken up in the middle of the night by an alarm and gotten out of bed and, you know, put in the shower and close. I mean, I would much rather sleep through the night. Not now, of course. Now I would, I do not want to sleep through the night in wet pajamas, (laughs) but I much preferred to do it when I was, you know, six, seven years old. Right. Then, then the alternative, but, but also, you know, like waking up the entire house at one o'clock in the morning, not a great feeling. Yeah. I, I I would never say anything against your family. (laughs) Comma. Well, but, but, but but, but that that seems like, I mean, that's like masturbation mitts or something like, yeah, it was the seventies. I mean, you know, there were people sitting their kids down and, you know, giving them like quarter doses of LSD and flashing lights at them to see what they did. They could have had your aura cleanse. They could have, um, you know, but but that was another thing. The bedwetting was a thing that kept me from going to slumber parties. It kept me from going over to other kids' houses. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that the person that I am today is absolutely a product of of the person I was at ten or twelve, which was a kid with a you know I had I had this sense of adventure that I have, but it was in this shell of timidity that was uh, you know that was timidity brought on by fear of being exposed as a picky eating bedwetting thumb sucking kid that played with gi joes until he was 17 <laughs> you know like right. i was a late bloomer late 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 this is this is one of those things that it's it's just it seems so obvious, which is why it must be said. Which is that I think for most of us, there are very few people that are always looking forward. I mean, if you think about anything that that uh, that you do in a given day or a week, it is for most of us in some way a conscious or more often maybe unconscious reaction to something that just happened. And I mean, in extreme cases, you can think of lots of, you know, examples of that, but pretty much everything that we're doing, you know, even if it's going out to get half and half because we forgot to get half and half, we're constantly reacting to something that just happened. This sounds like Scientology, but, Mm -hmm. but I mean, the thing is that didn't just happen this week. That's happened every week of your fucking life. You're always reacting to something that just happened before. And if all of that is happening and that goes back 45 years, it's still the same thing. And I mean, if you had, if one had, these uh, these things that really help form your personality into a certain way, you know, I, it sounds like, I don't know if this sounds Freudian or something, but I'm not surprised at all to know that. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to know that, that that has such a long-lived effect on, on who you think you are and then what you should be doing to react to what just happened. Well, and, and I, I think because I felt a prisoner of shame, like... Kid shame, right? I mean, not really shame for anything I had done, but just kid shame of, uh, you know, of, uh, of somebody. And I I wasn't even afraid of kids pointing at me and saying that, you know, bedwetter. I was afraid of adults doing it. Um, cause of course in the seventies, it is not, it, it is not so far outside of the realm of possibility that some coach 
or teacher or friend's parent would go, <laughs> what a little baby. Um, so living, you know, living confined by, by kid shame, uh, was a big part of me at at some point deciding that I would, that I would have no, sh- no shame or I, it would be rather, it would be impossible to shame me. You know what I mean? That was the, that was the key. That was the, that was the moment, the moment when I realized that the only reason you couldn't be gay in the CIA was because that, the that would give the Russians power over you. Right. You're, you're, you're already kind of compromised. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable because you can be exposed. And the idea that, that, and then, and I saw that radiating out through the world that people were so afraid of being exposed that they were enslaved, not, not, you know, it, it's not hard to enslave another person. You just find out what they're scared of other people knowing, and then you hold it over their head. Well, and I mean, it starts with a, a person not being, uh, not being difficult for someone to enslave themselves. Right. And that's, that's this little, uh, suddenly it's Oprah. But I mean, you know, th- that's where you end up having this prison of your own design, your, your, your own personal, you know, panopticon of shame mm-hmm. in which you dwell. And, uh, I, I think that, that, I mean, I think that has ramifications uh, that are, that go much further than most of us like to think. And I mean, you know, I mean, again, it sounds like a cliche, but you know, you want to say to kids like, boy, you know, that guy who's just, you know, an unrepentant bully, like we know in retrospect now, like that poor, that mean, poor kid, like probably was getting his, if he's lucky, just getting his ass kicked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might've been a lot more like the fact he's hitting, he's not hitting you. Like he, he's hitting uncle Joe. Right. You know what right. I mean? Or he's hitting his, his big brother who's getting hit by uncle Joe. I've told you the story of Julius McRae. I don't know that. Yeah, sure. Shower okay. down and get an A. Oh, shower down and get an A. I don't understand what makes you want to be a gym coach. I, I mean, does that seem bugs. like that seems like maybe a third level fallback? Mm, you know, there are all those dads. This is the thing that Merlin, we're not jocks, so we don't understand the power of jockdom. Yeah, it's like people who are engineers, you know, or people, you know, it's people who are engineers have trouble thinking, understanding how people who are not engineers think because yeah. they understand the mechanics of how the universe operates at, at, at a physics level and so right. they, they don't understand why people would not think the same way that that they do right they don't understand why nobody can read the instruction manual that they wrote because <laughs> the instruction manual they wrote is totally obvious to an engineer well dr strangelove is in there you just haven't searched on enough services yet <laughs> and this is the thing about jocks and, and i'm convinced of this jocks are jocks live fairly happy lives i think much happier than mine because uh, because they're they're just uh, uh, the life of a jock is just uncomplicated by all this why 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 wondering wondering fretting 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 about stuff that can't be fixed and you know a jock throws a ball catches a ball there's a feeling of accomplishment there it maybe is just as real as the accomplishment of writing a novel maybe just as real as the accomplishment of writing a great novel if you catch a great touchdown pass and it saves the day for the team and the town, like what could be better than that? And a lot of these guys who didn't have the, didn't have the glory for themselves or their, you know, their glory days are behind them and they get to work with kids and, 
and bask in the reflected glory of young people having those experiences. I mean, that whole world where, where there is somebody out there right now who has reached his career pinnacle and it is, it is being like secondary teams coach for a small Midwestern college. And, you know, and he's out there for 50 years on the sidelines season after season. I mean, those seem like valid and poetic, beautiful lives, I guess. And it's never a thing I can, I can relate to at all. All I can picture myself if, 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 if it was freaky Friday and he and I switch positions and I'm standing there in those polyester pants with the wind blowing over my windbreaker, <laughs> watching these kids, not even the a team, but like the, you know, the secondary defense squad and they're running drills. And I, you know, I just see myself standing there and watching them for like a minute and a half and then looking around and wondering where the bus station is. And, but people devote their whole lives to it. And I might, you know, my dad, I think would have been a happier guy if he had just followed sports, if he had just followed the sports thread of his young life and had found a way to stay in sports um, without all the pressure of trying to make a difference and trying to settle uh, disputes with labor unions. If he had just, you know, been in that clear cut world of like the dispute is that your team is against our <laughs> team and the dispute it's, is resolved. instead of being in law and politics, which is never resolved. Right. And you like, you have a victory on that Tuesday night and then the real work begins and you start over or in law. I mean, it's just all shades and subtlety. Yeah. I couldn't do that. But you know, here's one thing you think about, think about uh, like, uh, we talk about jocks. And I mean, I think one thing to th- from, at least in my mind, like the, the, the jock thing goes way beyond who's on the field playing sports because, you know, football teams are big. If you, you know, it's, there's whatever 11 people on each side on the field at a time. You get 20 How do you there. know that? I, you know, it's, I'm uh, speaking phonetically, but, but you know, what is you, it 11 people? I think so. Yeah. It's is a, it 11 ele- you got 11 offense, 11 defense, and they face is off. Is that right? 11? What a weird number. Why, why 11? Oh, all, all sports are done in, uh, in mostly in prime numbers. Interesting. Yes. How many people on a basketball team? On a team or on the court at a time? There, there are, there are five people from the basketball team on the court at a time. But you can have as many people on the team as you want. I think so. You can have what they call a deep bench. Mm. How many people are on a soccer team? All of them. All of them. Is it is it is it a prime number? You know, I'm I'm not going to look, but I'm going to say what you got. You got your forwards, you got your center, you got your backs. Five, six, seven. The thing is, even if you let's take it as read that there's 40 to 60 people on the football team in high school, which I think is probably still a little high. There's a ton more people than that that see themselves as jocks and act like jocks. And you could be, I'm just going to say with all due respect to lard asses, there are so many lard ass men in this area walking around an era like official giants or you know or what what's the other sports team 49ers jerseys they're right. walking around and they are A's, fat Oakland A's. they're fat like fuck 
in a giant yeah. official jersey, and they they are they are, they know everybody on a first name basis. They talk about all of them. So I mean, I think part of not, not to eat off Hodgman's plate here, but I think this jock thing goes way beyond victory on the field. And I, I wonder if a lot of those people who want you to shower down to get an A were not like the quarterback. I feel like your I feel like your feeling that jock shouldn't be fat is the same as my feeling that Christians shouldn't smoke pot. Oh. Hmm. Let me think about that. There are a lot of fat jocks. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not talking about I'm not like I'm not talking about coming by it honestly. But I'm There's talking about of, like yeah, the association. But... You know, it's kind of like kind of like girls who like want to dress up like people they've seen in us magazine and then talk like people on TV. You know, there's nothing, nothing like, like inherently wrong with that, I guess, but it's, it's no different really than like the management, the bad management of a company hiring more people who are like them. Like it's this self-replicating pattern of willful dumb fuckery that makes me lose my mind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't understand coaches and those shorts. Ugh. They I had to like always, so- they had to find jobs at our high school. I think we might've mentioned this once, but at my high school. We talked probably, probably talked about this on the Mr. Finnell episode, but and I remember at my high school, they had to come up with phony, with uh, phony baloney jobs for all the coaches. Oh, sure. They're all history teachers or social studies teachers. Well, I mean, in some cases, yes. The driver's ed teacher was No one respects a coach. history as a, as a, as a pursuit. Yeah, give him a coach. Because the coach is always the history teacher and he's always like, I don't know, it's, uh, French Revolution. Uh. One of the soccer coach taught uh, taught in school suspension. So That's a, that, that was a class. <laughs> yeah, he's, I, he was he was officially a faculty member because he sat in a silent room for six hours a day watching people who'd gotten in a fight. Wow. ISS, they he, called it. He must have been a real. He must have. Well, he was a soccer coach. I was going to say what a what a Buddhist, but he he gonna... looked he looked like somebody. He looked a lot like somebody. Um, <sighs> Who would like listen to Peter Frampton and then follow a lady to her car? Mm, not not in a good a little, not in a good way. You're getting a little close to home there, buddy. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a big Frampton fan. I'm not. I know. I know. I know. Um, you know the first time I ever heard Frampton turns uh, comes alive. <laughs> Frampton was, turns a trick. <laughs> Frampton turns alive was uh, also the first time I ever saw somebody light a fart. It's true. <laughs> I was over at this kid's house and he had big brothers and they were playing Thumbs Alive and they were like, want to see something cool? <laughs> I was like, I do want to see something cool. And he lit his fart. Mm, that's living. Mm. That's where I learned the um, A major seventh chord. I'm not sure I still know it. Oh, it's, it's, like, it's like an A, but you drop the middle one. Oh right! Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, great chord. It's a great chord. It's the uh, it's the official chord of the 1970s. If you, you if you if you play pretty much anything as a, as a major seventh, you uh, it, it invokes the 70s. Right. All right. Well, I'm going to give that a try as soon as we're as soon as I I lose you today. Yeah, I, my guitar's just out of reach. Lucky you. Um, so we got that should be the that should be the name of my autobiography. My guitar's just out of reach. <laughs> <laughs> my autobiography for the last seven Your years. Your unfinished autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> I saw my good friend uh, Will Johnson of the band Centromatic last night, and he has, I have no doubt, has put out 12 albums since the last Long Winter's record. Oh, it's got to be so fucking annoying. And then you have to talk to him. Well, and you, and, 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 like He's your friend, and you like him, but isn't there some part of you that wants him to be wetting the bed? 
Well, the, the, the problem is that he and Dave Bazan and I are standing around in a circle and Dave Bazan, you know, plays 200 road shows a year and, uh, will probably, you know, does close to that or, or uh, wills in 10 bands and puts out four records a year. And, uh, we're all talking shop, but there was a time 10 years ago when we would be standing around talking shop and we all had, a, we all had very dupe applicable experiences you know we were doing the same thing and now we're standing around and they're like yeah so anyway you know that you know you know jimmy's chicken shack down in oscalolo florida oh yeah i hate that place or whatever and i'm standing there like hey i've given some keynote speeches that i didn't get paid for how about you guys what about those keynotes right am i right hey i got a new keyboard yeah, and they're like, "Huh?" Anyway, no, John, so, you're 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 just perceiving that. I know you're you're doing that for comedic effect here. I'm sure, but you're just perceiving that. I I, I even if you if you are being honest, I think you're, you're you're kidding, right? Well, a little bit. I mean, but 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 there is that thing of like, why haven't you know? We look at each other and it's like, oh man, we used to play so many shows together. Why haven't we played any shows lately? And then there's a, there's a silence. You know about chemtrails. And then it's like, oh right, it's me. I'm the reason we haven't played any shows together. John, because- God damn it, God damn it, John fucking Roderick, you've evolved. Yeah, you're you're sitting around like, why am I not throwing my monkey bone in the air and having it turn into a spaceship? And I'm I'm yeah. telling you, you are the spaceship. You have you become your how. I gave my first PowerPoint presentation yesterday. Oh shit, really? Yeah, I didn't do it. Were you pitching VCs? No, I was at EMP, the Experience Music Project. <laughs> Did, did you have a, have a deck on Mud Honey's van? It was it was called it was it's the pop conference where intellectuals and uh, and journalists journalists get together to talk about pop music as though it is a serious academic discipline. Which uh, which kind are you? I'm uh, neither. Okay, but I was there to talk about weathering the storm, the fallout of my punk rock article. And oh, so interesting. They wanted me. They wanted me to have a PowerPoint presentation to go along with my speech oh, shit. and i was like i don't know anything about that and they were like oh it's easy and they sent me a bunch of templates and emails that i didn't open <laughs> you sent them the, to josh <laughs> the, day, the day before the day before i was giving the talk i was like oh right powerpoint thing so i uh there's a gal that works over at the um grammy uh o- awards where i'm also on the board and so I sent her an email and I was like, well, you, uh, you know about PowerPoints. And she was like, yeah. And I said, will you make me a PowerPoint? And she said, for what? And I said, I'm giving this speech. She said, I know, but I mean, what do you want me to, like, we should get together and talk about this PowerPoint thing. And I said, no, I don't need to see it. Just for some of a- us, that would be like being called and saying, can, can you make me a song? Yeah, basically that. I mean, and I was like, just make me a PowerPoint demonstration. That's X number of minutes long that has pictures of punk rockers. And punk rock. And and she was like, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't even really like your article very much. And I was like, perfect. So I got up and I gave this speech with a PowerPoint demonstration going behind me where the slides were programmed to change every 15 seconds. And I had never seen it before and I still haven't seen it. You're kidding. Because I wasn't looking at it while That's I was That's my bed wedding right there. That is, that is a terrifying <laughs> idea to me. And... The only the only advice I gave her was at the I would like the last slide the one that's that hangs up there mm-hmm. because in, inevitably I will go over my allotted time. 
<laughs> and so the last slide is just going to sit there all afternoon while I keep talking. I wanted to say, fuck you. <laughs> And she did it. <laughs> she well, she took time out of her day to do that for you. Yeah. So I gave this PowerPoint demonstration where all these pictures of Sid and Nancy or whatever were flashing behind me on the screen. That sounds like a horrible PowerPoint. <laughs> it was terrible. And then at the end, oh no! I mean, I mean, it was great because it was terrible because I was de- I was talking about de- I was I wasn't defending. I didn't defend my punk rock. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I was, just have somebody with sync stoppers in their ears like slowly flip through an nme or like a maximum r&r <laughs> yeah, while you're up that's there that's basically what it was that's basically just get, like just get a barista and an overhead projector yeah that's essentially what it was but then the last slide said fuck you and i then the, for the last 15 minutes i just talked over a slide that said fuck you had you practiced it had you like rehearsed it with time and everything uh no 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 i improvised it because as i say I gave no thought to it until I arrived. Well, you understand. You understand my my, my questions. It's <laughs> that that that's wow. How, how was the reception? Oh, it was. Uh, it, uh, you know, uh, I like to give impromptu speeches, mm-hmm. and uh, generally the response is good because um, people. People like well, you are good, feel- and you're very entertaining, and uh, I haven't done a lot of public speaking, but I, but I will just say that I think slides – John, I heard this a long time ago, and I'm, I kind of don't want to say it to you because I, I don't want to lose this awesome analogy that, that mm-hmm. I have to imagine is not correct. Mm-hmm. But I've heard it said that the only people who really need poles when they ski are beginners and experts. The, oh. the, the typical moderate-level skier – doesn't really need the poles to ski. Is that Interesting. true? Yeah, I don't think you need poles to ski. I don't. I mean, even an expert doesn't, and a beginner really doesn't either. But okay, let's stop right there. Cause, cause I don't want to ruin it. Okay. Uh, no, no, just 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 because it's so good. But anyway, you you take the analogy, you know, writ large, right? To, to me, that's that's slides. You know, right. you 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 know, when you are up there and you're nervous, you don't know what you're saying. I don't mean to talk about my actual job that I have, but but when people do that, <laughs> when they get up there, they're making the classic mistakes. They've got a bunch of bullshit slides with tiny tiny letters on it, and they're doing the rookie mistake of reading off the slides. Right, right. And then to me, like when you get really good, you come up with this super polished. To me, I knew my slides got better when they didn't make any sense on their own. Sure. And, and like it used to really frustrate me when people would first of all demand slides, and I wish would wish I had your last slide to send them, mm-hmm. because I, I I would be like you know it's well yeah okay send me your deck I'm like why do you want my deck well we want to put it in the binder we want to print it out and put it in the binder is I'm that like, what people that's what people call oh, yeah a, I mean PowerPoint like a, oh, oh yeah yeah they call it a deck yeah but I mean that's what they do at these things you go oh and just, you just don't want to get me started but but so somebody could sit and just open the binder before the thing even starts read through all the slides yes. And then they're they're done, and then a person gets up and reads the slides aloud. Um, could be, <laughs> is- could could be, but let's say you've got the greatest talk in the world. Think about this. How about this? Oh, right. How about how about you're about to go? Um, I don't know of an example where you would go somewhere prestigious to do, like, say, a three song set. But imagine that you went up to do your three best songs, um, and right before you went out, they handed out the lyrics. To all of the songs to the audience stapled together, along with maybe a biography. Now, if you're the typical person in that audience, what are you going to be doing while somebody that you've never heard is performing a song? 
at Fol- best, following along. Yeah, at, at best, you'll be reading the lyrics, but you'll be you'll be flipping through, looking yeah. at all of this, and it's like handing somebody the fucking script for The Godfather Two, like right before the movie rolls. It's like <laughs> right. guy, you know, it's like before you go into this building, let me give you the blueprint. Well, that's not the thing. I got I hate to sound like a diva about this, yeah, but no, like, I get you. And, but and that's why to me it's so funny. I would send people and I say, oh, fine, here you go. Here, here, here's my slides. Have fun. And and it would be like they a, made no sense at all. They're just like there's one that's a picture of a cardboard box. There's uh-huh. another one that's a douchebag making two devil's horns while uh-huh. he bites his lower lip. Uh-huh. And I say, you know, have fun. Here's 20 slides for you. <laughs> How's that work out? Love it. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's the problem. And this is like I've <laughs> done several podcasts about this. How crazy making it is to me that and like I don't know. There's there's probably this is probably actually emblematic of a lot of cultures where there's this shittiness of presentation culture that is so deeply ingrained in not only the people who give the talks and not really even the the people who have to suffer the talks, but in the people who put on the talks, mm-hmm. right? And so I've been places where I'm expected to stand somewhere. I did a talk uh, a year or two ago where, and you know, I when I try hard, my, my slides are pretty good, but mm-hmm. I was at a place where I was expected to First of all, hand them a PDF because they couldn't handle having like, a, you know, a keynote file with all the builds and stuff. So I was going to give them a PDF and then I hit a remote, right, to change the slide, except that remote actually sent a signal to someone to turn on a light to let this guy in another room know to advance the slide. Whoa. So, so imagine that you had cards that you would hold up to let someone know which chords to fret. Wow. That's how I felt. And so I said, you know what? I I did what I end up doing about 80% of the time, which is I went, you know what? No slides. Right. Because, because, you know, uh, this is either do it right or don't do it. This is really boring. Um, but, but I, I think it's, I, I, but you know, it does get to something that drives me crazy, which is like, like the shittiness of a culture becomes, you have these ruts, like truly a rut. Like if you imagine wagons going down a road, pretty much if you get 50 wagons going down a road, there's going to be some pretty deep, ruts that those wheels create and it's going to be really hard to not have your wagon go into those and that's exactly what it is anytime you it's make interesting somebody... that you use a wagon as a rut producer because we were talking about skiing earlier and it <laughs> seems like skiing would be the way that you got to the got to the rut description i had to explain ahead. i had to explain ruts to my daughter uh two days ago was we, we, we scoot together we both scoot and uh, i was telling her about ruts yeah, ruts are a, ruts are a major feature in a ruts are a teachable landscape. moment. Like I can t- I could talk for five minutes about ruts, but they don't really become clear until you experience them. Mm, you sure, especially but, if you're going over ruts the wrong way. Oh yeah, you're like a lady in high heels. Yeah. Well, this is a thing. This is a thing on a, on a wagon rut. It's not like you're gonna. It's not like you want to take a different line on your way to Oregon, right? You got your wagon ruts. You're gonna get in the ruts. You're gonna go. But in skiing. Ruts get ruts get dug in, and then you want to go a different way, but there are these ruts in the way. It's very. I mean, I could go on and on. I um, we should avoid the Holocaust. (laughs) I saw a uh, saw a documentary on uh, Hollywood's treatment of primarily the Holocaust, but but also a little bit of pre-war stuff, and they talked about you know this one scene in Sophie's Choice. Where, uh, Meryl Streep is doing this really odd, she has this very, she's walking across the camp. She's at Auschwitz, right? I never or saw Sophie's Birkenau. Choice. Is it a Holocaust movie? <laughs> I always thought it was about horses. <laughs> it totally sounds like a horse movie. Oh, <gasps> Sophie's Choice isn't about horses? It Jesus sounds, Christ, it what sounds a missed like, I always thought it was like National Velvet. 
Yeah, or and, um, you know, actually, it turns out my friend Flicka was about the Sudetenland. land. What? I didn't see that movie either. Anyway, uh, but she's got this really peculiar gait. Um, she's walking very, very strange. So basically, in the making of this film, Meryl Streep or or Meryl Streep, not a Flicka. horse. I shouldn't have said gait. Sorry, my bad. But um, it, her character is, you know, of course, she's very ill and she's walking across the the ground. Be, you know, being kind of led along by this, you know, one of those mean Auschwitz ladies. And, uh, and she has this very odd, like, it's very memorable when you see it, but this very strange, like, kind of, um, swaying, like, almost like she's about to fall over, kind of drunken master sort of way of walking. And they'd hired, <clears throat> brought people in consultants because they really wanted to get every, you know, detail they, they could, right? And she wasn't doing that simply because she was malnourished. She was doing that because <clears throat> there was like several inches of mud in the camp and you would make every attempt that you could to follow the footsteps of other people in the mm. mud so that you wouldn't get bogged down or, or, or fall down in the mud. Right. It's like, it's like uh, snow. I also watched uh, three movies about anti-Semitic propaganda the other night. That and, were not about the uh, that were not also about the Holocaust. I guess, given that one was made by uh, was it Himmler? No, who was the uh, who's the uh, Himmler? Himmler. Himmler. Himmler was the uh, propaganda Jim, guy, right? Himmler. Himmler. <laughs> Mr. Hilter. <laughs> well, welcome to our Bienvenidos uh, Argentina. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the internet and money python are off limits. But uh, anyway, uh, so that's why people walk that way at Auschwitz. Right. Oh, but brother, there's uh, there's uh, actually two document. You know what? Never mind. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I was uh, feeling the other day that, um, you know, when we talk about Semites... It's all the people of Arabia and the Levant. All of the Arabs are also Semitic people, <clears throat> right? But we, but we never. But anti-Semite only refers to Jews. Well, oh, okay. Well, while I take a minute to look up a Twitter toot you had yesterday, tell me what that means by Semite. I, I am not familiar. I thought Semitic meant Jewish. No, a Semitic is a description of a language group. The Semitic no languages, shit. yeah, are Arabic and Aramaic. I am, and, a, I am a total piker. I don't mean to work ping pong, but I am a piker as a as a Holocaust uh, scholar. I did not know that. Yeah, and Hebrew. <clears throat> All these are a language group that are one of the Indo. Oh, Sem S E M. Right. I mean, from from you're, the Latin. Yeah, you're digging in. Oh fuck. So all of those people are called Semites as a uh, because because they all share a common language group, and then I think anti-Semite only became a only became more of a targeted reference to Jews in the in the nineteenth century um, during that whole period, sort of mid eighteen hundreds when the Germans were really really wrestling with how how to integrate the jews into their culture uh, they decided not to spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> but so arabs are semitic people also and all of this anti-arab talk in america that uh, we've we've been uh, soaking in for the last i'm sorry not to be that arab arab or muslim well <laughs> 
Arab. Because this gets me back to your toot. Oh, what did I say in my toot? I, I'm sorry, I'm double interrupting you. But no, you, right. you remember all of this that happened after 9-11 was like <clears throat> Sikhs were being beat up. Right. I mean, there was this entire Venn diagram of confusion about who we were supposed to be mad at. Sure, anybody with a turban, <clears throat> but of course Sikhs couldn't be further. But like, weren't, weren't like Indian and Pakistani guys like getting hassled too? I mean, it got pretty bananas for a while, right? Well, Pakistani guys might have had it coming, but Indian guys, not so much. Huh. Even even though... It's a kind of bullying clairvoyance. Even though Indians and Pakistanis are very similar racially, they have very different religions. Could, could, so, you, could you eyeball a Pakistani versus an Indian? Well, but there are like 700 different racial groups in India. You should be in the fucking cabinet, John. <laughs> <clears throat> Nine hours ago, John Roddick, remember that. A Chechen is not a Czech. I actually I re- I read your Twitter sometimes. Remember oh. that a Chechen is not a Czech, nor a Chetnik, nor a Moravian, a Moldavian slash Moldovan, or a Monrovian, nor a Roman, Roma, or Romanian. Right. And as with me, if I may say, I can't believe you fit that many fucking letters into a toot. <laughs> but you typify, I think you're not typifying, you're exemplifying like uh, uh, an unbelievable error. That we all make, including me. Right. You know? Well, yeah, so che- so there's, you know, Chechnya. Oh, I don't have to che- tell you. Is Chechnya, Chechnya. <clears throat> I, uh, I should tell you, John, mm. <clears throat> there is one way in which I am so... Um, this is really hard, going to be hard to believe. There's mm-hmm. one way in which I am, I don't even own a TV guy, which is yeah. about the news. Right. And I am that guy, first of all, in the way that, like, I actually don't follow the news, but I'm also that guy in constantly letting you know that I don't follow the news. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I have, I, I literally go out of my way. If you could see my, fil- my filter file on Tweetbot actually slows my computer down. You, you would, it, there's no way you could, you can't prove a negative and there's no way you could begin to visualize how many things I never see anywhere. <laughs> So, Chechnya is part of the actual capital R, Russia? Well, so that area, so we hear about these countries. We hear about these countries in the news all the time Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, right? Those Those are areas where the Russians have been fighting wars for a long time because they are these untamed areas between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. At the very south end of what we think of as Russia, but it isn't Russia really at all. They are the they are the people. There, a lot of them are Muslims. They're they are they are related to like Persians and Turks, and they were conquered by the Russians back in the day, multiple different times and ways. But they live up in the mountains. They are Caucasian people because. Those are literally the, the Caucasus mountains, mountains. Right. But the, the they are not they are not ethnically Russian. They are they are very much like descendants of Genghis Khan, and and they are mad. And Chechnya is this weird little landlocked mountain redoubt up there that doesn't want to be in Russia anymore. It's not really a self-sustaining place. 
It's surrounded by Russians and mountains. And it's ruled by an autocratic dictator who thinks that he is God, like a lot of those places. You're talking about Turkmenistan? Well, Turkmenistan has it bad, too. That guy's Tur- awesome. Turkmenistan, <laughs> that guy is amazing. Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Kazakhstan, and Tajikistan are all on the other side of the Caspian Sea. And they are much more like steppes. You know, they're much more like horse horse people. Those are the horse riding people. The long <laughs> but people. Didn't that- he also name all the months after himself? Yeah, he's built a, he's built a couple of Brasilias. Like big towns out in the middle of nowhere that are that are full of pyramids and globes, giant gold gold globes. But so that area is very interesting. Now Moravia is um, is uh, half of the Czech Republic. So the Czech Republic is made up of Bohemia and Moravia, which are two regions. That we don't think of, they're not separate countries and never were, but they are two kingdoms, I guess. And the Bohemians and the Moravians feel differently about each other. They're united in a kind of contempt for the Slovakians. Now, Moldova used to be part of Romania, and they speak Romanian, but it was absorbed into the Ukraine, and so... They changed oh my God, al- John, it's like they're trying to fuck with us. They changed the alphabet of the Romanian language into Cyrillic. So the Moldovans, which that country also, before it was called Moldova, it was called Moldovia. <laughs> but that, that region is now a separate country where they speak Romanian, but they, but they spell it with Russian letters. Um, and so all of these places are probably going to erupt in war and everyone will be sent to camps. I, um, <clears throat> yeah. You want to hear more about those, uh, anti-Semitic, sorry, anti-Jew oh, yeah. movies? No, now, mm. you know, but I mean like the one you still see today, that's uh pretty funny. So Georgia, I mean, setting aside, uh, the white album, um, mind. Hmm? My, 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 mine. The, um, my daughter loves that song. How cool is that? She mm. likes to hear it on repeat. Your daughter is cool. Um, that's a good song. Do you know about the importance of happiness as a warm gun? Are you aware of how important that song is? To you personally or to the world? To the Beatles. It was the last song they had fun making. Really? Yeah. You know, like we've talked before about that, those uh, outtakes from Anya Burke can sing. Yeah. We can hear how high they were and like yeah. they're laughing. I mean, yeah. they're super, you've been high, right? Mm. They're super. I don't want to say, I don't want to say it on public broadcast. Sure. The CIA might still have you and it's fine. That's kids an up and come on. This podcast has a bullet. When I go to the doctor and they put the piece of paper in front of me, I've never <laughs> done any drugs or smoked cigarettes or anything. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I'm not telling you, buddy. Um, if you find a if you find an undifferentiated mass in my lung, we're both going to wonder where it came from. It's asparagus. <laughs> um, okay, forget about the Soviet Union. Um, hmm. My friend, 
uh, I have a good friend who had uh, he had a really really bad traumatic injury to his hand. Many of our listeners will be able to figure out who this is. And uh, he went to, <laughs> he went to the doctor because I mean basically you know he like I guess severed a nerve and he had to go through all this like it was a big deal. And uh, and <laughs> when they went to the doctor, of course, like they do, they ask you you know do you take ibuprofen? Right. Do you smoke? Not anymore. Like, do do you, do you, do you, and they ask you, do you drink? Right. And of course, you know, like me, I think he paused. Mm-hmm. He paused. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, conspicuously, is, if you fucking, if you're, if you're like a, I don't say a nurse, but if you are the information taker at that facility, you, I mean, you know what? You can get good at something in a day if you do it often enough. If, right. if you do that 10 times in one day, I bet within a week, you are going to be like fucking Kreskin at knowing whether somebody drinks a lot or, yeah. or whether someone lies a lot for that matter. Right, right. Absolutely. But they never let on. I mean, so here's, here, here, here's, some, here's some possible answers to that. Um, um, oh, oh, so here's the thing. And this is, this is such a great hack. They don't ask you, do you drink? They ask you, uh, how many drinks do you have a week? And so first of all, you got to do math if you're right, trying you to be honest. Yeah. But, you know, you could say, um, I don't drink anymore, which is a good lie. Or it could be uh, uh, four times a week. Or you say, uh, you don't see any drink on weekends because you sound like a binge drinker. Right. And so my friend said that the, the real rookie thing, which is that he has a couple drinks a day. Oh, now, sure. That's he's, like he's talking to a cop. Which is exactly what I would say, which really means I have about three or four times that much. Right. A couple and, of drinks. And his wife, it was all, she, and his wife is awesome. It was all she could do not to like knock him onto the floor. She said, <laughs> listen, when you go in and you talk to anyone, whether it's a doctor or anyone, and they ask you how much you drink, you know what you tell them? I only drink socially. Which is such a great answer because it doesn't really it doesn't really answer the question. Oh, but that's such a that's a archaic answer. That's a madman answer. Oh, you I think only it, drink socially? Do you think that sounds like denial? It sounds like it sounds like something that you heard your father say many times, or it heard, sounds like something you heard your mother say to your father. Okay, how about this? Uh, the uh, the nurse the, the nurse Tron says, um, "How many drinks do you have a week?" And you say, "Do you think you're better than me?" it's pretty good oh that's actually a good one we're god fucking hour and a half long 